was on that first Easter day in the evening. Here we have the disciples, and they're in a room, and they are afraid. Jesus, their leader, just days before had been arrested, and he had been put to death. And they were afraid. What if what happened to Jesus happens to us? What if, what if we get arrested? What if we get imprisoned? What if we get killed? And they're afraid. Some of them had seen the empty tomb. Some of them had heard the report from the women who said, we have seen the Lord, but they thought it was all crazy. And they're afraid. And they're hiding. What if what happened to Jesus happens to me? Even today, functionally, there are people who live their life and they live their faith in the same fear. What if, what if people knew I was associated with Jesus? What will they think of me? What would happen to me? And people live with their faith behind closed doors, locked doors, just hoping to, to blend in. There's other people who have just abandoned the idea of faith altogether. They say, look, I don't, I don't need your Jesus, I don't need your resurrection, I don't need any of this. You know, we live in a post-9-11 America. If people, if faith can motivate people to hurt each other or kill each other or fly a plane into a building, I don't want it. I don't want anything. I don't want your Jesus, I don't want Allah, I want nothing. I'm fine the way I am. Now, I would disagree with that person that faith inevitably would lead to violence or, or war, and just look at the wars of the 20th century, they had very little to do with faith. But to that person, I might ask, well, if you don't have faith, how do you understand life? What, is, what motivates your life? What's your authority? And this person might say, they might say, well, I use science. I use my mind. I use rationality. And here's my goal in life. It's to be happy. And I'm going to be happy by just being me and by connecting to other people that I love and connecting to the world and not harming people and not harming the world. And if everybody else pursued the same kind of happiness, collectively, it would be a pretty good place. And this happiness is an ideal in itself. So that's my motivation. Now to that person, I would disagree on one level. I don't know if science can actually get you there. Rationality just gets you to the point where you don't harm other people. I don't know if that's purely scientific thinking. And when you start talking about moral absolutes, like you shouldn't harm people or harm the earth, you're, you're talking about a moral universe which necessitates a moral God. And I, anyway, I don't want to get too philosophical. I want to ask you what happens if you don't find that happiness that you're pursuing. The person may respond, sure, we live in a real world and real stuff happens and difficult things happen, bad things happen, there's sickness and disease and there's violence and injustice and depression and there's all kinds of things that can work against your happiness. But we also have a lot of resources. We have family who love us and we have uh, good communities and we have a lot of information and a lot of techniques and a lot of advancements in, in science and we can, we have all these resources to use to at least move us from the reality of a world where bad stuff happens towards this ideal of happiness. And at least we're moving in that direction. 
Now, to that person, I would say, I tend to agree with you. There are beautiful things in this world, beautiful communities and beautiful families. And we have amazing resources, and we've come so far relative to our ancestors, even 100 years ago, the way that we can travel and communicate with one another. Scientific advancements and medical advancements, our life expectancy is much greater. We live much more comfortably than our ancestors. Many societies are much less brutal towards minorities and outsiders. We, we've, we've come a long way. We're certainly wealthier than our ancestors, but are we really happier? With all these advancements, with all the techniques in the world, are we genuinely happier? I don't think that all of the techniques in the world and all the information out there can overcome the brokenness of the world. And I would ask the person as well, what do you do with death? I mean, death cannot possibly help you achieve the happiness that you're looking for. What my hope is for every person in this room gathered here on Easter morning to celebrate together is that you would consider that there is something out there that is greater than happiness. It's the reason why we're in this place. It's the reason why we gather to celebrate. It's the reason we sing together. I want you to consider that there is a joy and a hope and a purpose in life that is far more meaningful. It's more powerful than even death. And it's more meaningful than even happiness. And no amount of brokenness can ever take it away from you. That we can experience the God of the universe. That we can have a vital connection with the God who created everything. And it's all possible because Jesus is alive. I want to show you how the disciples came to understand it. And they had what I'm going to call a Home Alone moment. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Home Alone. Uh, from 1990. It's more of a Christmas movie than an Easter movie, but uh, in the movie, Kevin McAllister is an eight-year-old boy, and he's fighting with his family, and they're being mean to him, and he's, he's being mean to them, and he just wished it would go away. He wished his family would just disappear. Well, the next morning, Kevin wakes up, and he realizes his family has disappeared. And through a series of uh, events and errors, the family has left on vacation for France, and has left eight-year-old Kevin home alone. And at first he thinks that he has made his family disappear. Take a look at this. I made my family disappear. Kevin, you're completely helpless. You know, Kevin, you're what the French call les incompetents. Kevin, I'm going to feed you to my tarantula. Kevin, you are such a there are 15 people in this house, and you're the only one who has to make trouble. Look what you did, you little joke. I made my family disappear. And in an instant, Kevin goes from, I made my family disappear, to, I made my family disappear. Here in an instant, the disciples go from a moment of, what if what happened to Jesus happens to us? To a moment of, what if what happened to Jesus can happen to us? I want to show you three things that are possible because Jesus is alive and Jesus shows it to them. The first is that if death didn't destroy Jesus, then perhaps death can't destroy us either. 
in our scripture, it says Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said this, and he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Hey, he was dead, and now he's alive. And that's impossible. Or it used to be impossible, but now it's possible. That death doesn't win. The, the curse of death is, is no longer a curse. And death really is a curse. You know, there are people who say, you know, death's not that big a deal. You know, when you die, the, your body just becomes dirt, and the molecules of your body sustain, you know, some other life, and it just kind of goes on, and, and that's okay. Well, that's not okay with me, because I don't feel like fertilizer, and, and I, don't, I don't feel like this is just some continuation of life. Death feels like death. Death feels like a cutting off of love and relationships and things that bring us great joy. Death is a curse. In, in the Christian worldview, what Christians understand is God created the world without death. That death only enters the world when we rebel against God, when we sin, when we go our own way. And death has entered the world. But here is the good news of God. God did not leave us with that curse. God enters the world. That's Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus gives his life. He enters into death. But he walks out the other side. Death doesn't win over Jesus. And now by faith, death does not win over those who put their faith in him. He has power over even life and death. And when the disciples see Jesus risen, they can have faith that death does not win. And we don't have to fear. And we can have peace. And Jesus said, peace be with you. And he kept saying, peace, peace. After he was risen, he kept saying this word, peace. We don't have to fear. And it's peace that we don't even have to die to experience that peace. Jesus is showing his scars on his hands and his sides. That, and God used those things. God used the scars to achieve something. We all have things in our own lives that cause scars and hurts and brokenness in our own life. And, and those things hurt, but God can redeem those things and use them for his good purposes. God did not waste the pain of Jesus, and he will not waste your pain. He has a purpose and a plan for you, even in the midst of your pain. And that leads us to our second thing. This moment of what if what happened to Jesus could actually happen to us is that Jesus was sent to this world with a purpose and a mission. And now we are sent into the world with purpose and a mission. Back to our text. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And now Jesus has accomplished that mission, and he gives mission now to his people. Jesus described his mission like this in the Gospel of Mark. He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what the cross is all about. It was a ransom. It was a payment. It was an exchange. Jesus exchanged his perfect life. Jesus exchanged his righteous life for our sinful and broken life. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And he, he fulfilled his mission by giving his life and serving. And now he says, as I was sent, now you go. Now you can live your lives to love and to serve and to give to the world around you. Because he's done that for us, we can do it for one another and the world around us. Jesus even demonstrated it for his followers. It was just before he died, and Jesus knew that his work was almost done. 
He knew that he was going back to the Father. He knew that all authority in heaven and earth was his. And he was, he was celebrating the Passover meal with his followers. And he, the, the king of the universe, all authority, removes his outer garment and he puts a towel around his waist. He filled the basin with water and he began to wash his disciples' feet. One of the lowliest and most humble tasks you could do is to wash the dirty, smelly feet. And Jesus, the God of the universe, does that. And he said this in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an, an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus has served us even to death. Now we serve one another. Service is a major part of the life of our church. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be refocusing ourselves as a community in, in service. We're going to have a big service day coming up in a couple of weeks. And we're going to walk alongside people in our community and groups in our community that are doing amazing work. And we want to work with them. We want to serve with them to help them in what they're doing. We're going to work with groups like the Lazarus House. We, we work with them every week at their emergency shelter. But it's, it's so much more of a vast ministry than that. There's the emergency shelter, but there's the transitional shelter. And they're giving uh, job skills. And they're helping with budgeting skills and trying to help people rise up out of poverty. And we want to work with them with that. We're going to partner with a group called Groundworks Lawrence, and this is a group that's doing urban renewal and trying to make beautiful places in the city for people to enjoy. We're going to work with another organization, a, a safe house for women who have been rescued out of human trafficking, terrible conditions, because we believe in restoration of life, no matter how big the hurt, that God's grace and God's power to heal is greater than even that. We're going to walk alongside them. We've got a number of Projects. And I want to invite you next week at church, we're going to be partnering uh, people to some of these ongoing projects and one-time projects. And uh, we, even next week, we're sending students on a trip to New York City. I want to invite all the students and any of the, the leaders who are going on the trip next week to New York. These students are giving their vacation week from school, and they've raised money, and they've prepared themselves so that they can go and serve. And they're going to New York City because that is a place with great diversity and, and great ways to learn how different organizations are serving. And they're going to spend their mornings and their nights uh, with these different service agencies. And they're going to, they're going to serve, but they're going to be learning about service. And they're going to be uh, growing in this because we take seriously how Jesus served us even to death. That we go to places and we take time, and you guys with your effort and, uh, and, and your vacation time to do this. And I'm going to ask Javier Roche, our youth pastor, he's going to Pray and commission this group. Let's pray along with them. Father God, we just thank you for all these students and adults who have heard your command, Lord, who have said, throughout my vacation week, I'm saying yes to you. We're saying, here, here we are. Send us. Thank you, God, for these students and adults who have said, Jesus, send me to be your hands and feet to those in need. So God, we pray for your your protection wherever we go in the five boroughs of New York City. And we pray, God, that wherever we go, that your Holy Spirit is with us, that your healing power 
your anointing power, that same resurrection power is with us wherever we go. And God, we pray that everyone we meet is just a divine appointment between us and our maker, Lord, because you are with the least of these. And ultimately, God, we also pray that you will provide for us, God. That you will make a way for us, Lord, to, to grow closer to you. That we are sent, that we serve, and we come back recharged, challenged, Lord. That our faith is strengthened. And so, God, again, we pray that that resurrection power is with us throughout this mission trip. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give them a hand. Here's the greatest part of this thing. Is you don't have to go on a trip. You don't have to go to New York City. You don't even have to do a church service project. That we can love and we can serve wherever we go. As God empowers us. As God guides us. In your place of work in your family, in, in schools, and in neighborhoods. And too many people see faith just irrelevant to life. But we don't have to go wherever we go. We don't have to go wondering what God wants from me. God has demonstrated what a righteous and good life is like. And we can go and we are free to serve. Not to earn God's blessing, not to earn His favor, but because we've been blessed, because we have been loved, because Christ has served us even to death, and that empowers us to go and serve and love the world around us. And that leads us to the third thing. The third moment of, if it happened to Jesus, then maybe it could happen to us too. Is that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. His followers can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, our scripture says that with that, Jesus, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that his mission was finished and he was leaving the world, but he did not want to leave his followers alone on the mission by themselves. He, he leaves his spirit and he promised it to them. Jesus said this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Just before he died, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The Counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is a counselor and a comforter and the, the, the very living presence of God alive in those who believe to assure us that we are God's children, to guide us and give us wisdom. And, and we all need wisdom. Many people in this room are facing decisions in life and challenges in life and we need God's wisdom to guide us, to show us which way to go in a world that is very difficult to navigate. And the Holy Spirit of God does that for us. And the Holy Spirit of God changes us from the inside out. Now, someone might say, look, why you Christians just, you just want me to change. You're just trying to change me and change my life. And God does want to change our lives, but when we see the type of change that God wants to put in our lives, the kind of change that the Spirit brings, it's the change we want. The Spirit grows things like love and joy, peace and patience and goodness and 
faithfulness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. These are all the fruit that the Spirit builds in our lives. These are good changes. So how do we get it? Jesus said, receive. It's just a gift that God wants to give us, and we receive it by faith. And it's, it's just a promise and, and a gift. We don't have to earn it or muster it up. It's just there, and by faith we receive it there. But there are even Christians and followers of Jesus who don't fully experience the fullness of the Spirit that God wants for us. There's a, there's a fullness that God desires to bring to us as we trust in Him, as we put our faith in Him, and as we continue to receive His Spirit in our lives. What if what happened to Jesus can happen to us? And because Jesus is alive, death does not win over Jesus, death does not win over us. And we can live lives of peace and purpose. And Jesus came to, to serve and to fulfill his mission. Now he has, in the same way, sent us to love and to serve the world around us. And because Jesus is alive, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in those who put their faith in him. At work in our lives, do you want it? Do you want that kind of life? Or do you want to grow in it? Or do you want to know it in a deeper way? I invite you to just pray something along these lines. Let us pray. Father, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and I want him to be the Lord of my life, to give me new life and new purpose and to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.